the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You see, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you trust Him as Lord and Savior and follow Him, that's all together, that doesn't happen later, you surrender to Him, you're following Him, you follow in suffering like He suffered. That's what Paul referred to in Philippians 3 as the fellowship of his sufferings. You are in a partnership with Jesus Christ. And therefore, all the animosity directed at him will be experienced in some way, in some capacity, towards you. That might not sound very encouraging at first, but it does help explain some of the suffering that we experience as Christ followers. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'm Peter Silseth and I'm glad you could be with us for today's lesson. Pastor Steve is sharing a series of lessons that will help us to appreciate the benefits of suffering. We might think that our pain is so bad that there is no possible comfort, but there is comfort and it comes from God. Here is Pastor Steve with the details from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, someone, someone may think, well, I understand this. I know what you're talking about. I can receive this truth. And that may be good for some people. But my suffering is so enormous, so intense, so painful that there isn't enough comfort to help me. You don't understand my situation. In fact, it's wonderful to see. And I mentioned this last time. Let me show you again in verse 4. Paul says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. I don't have to have gone through what they're going through to bring comfort because my experience is not the comfort. It's the word that's the comfort. But someone may say, no, 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 I'm so beyond that. It's so painful what I'm going through. There isn't enough comfort in the world to minister to me. Well, that's why Paul wrote verse five. For just as the sufferings of Christ are, are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Essentially, this verse is saying that no matter how much we suffer, our affliction never outweighs God's comfort. In other words, when we suffer a great deal, God brings a great deal of comfort into our lives. If your suffering comes in like a flood, understand that God sends comfort like a flood. God's comfort is equal to our suffering. So, that, that is answered. If you, if you think that your suffering is more than God can handle, then you don't understand God. Nobody really understood the need for an, the abundance of comfort more than Paul because nobody suffered for the cause of Christ more than Paul. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, notice how every time he says something horrible happened to him, he speaks about it's not that bad because God's comfort was there. He doesn't say it with the words comfort, but it's the concept. Verse 8 of chapter 4, he said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. See, if you don't have God's comfort, you would be crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
Paul saying, for all the suffering I have gone through and am still going through, God's comfort is equal to the task. Paul wasn't defeated, and you don't need to be defeated either. But I want you to notice something that goes beyond the surface truth of of verse 5, and the surface truth is that our suffering will never outweigh our comfort. I want you to notice that Paul isn't simply referring to our own personal sufferings. He calls his sufferings the sufferings of Christ. Now, you might wonder, how did the sufferings of Christ get into this? And what kind of sufferings does Paul mean? Well, normally, when we talk of the sufferings of Christ, we're referring to his, uh, his agonies on the cross. But that's not the case here. The sufferings of Christ that Paul is referring to are the sufferings that Jesus endured from a sinful world because of his righteous living. Persecution is what he's talking about. The cross was a part of that, but he's not talking about sufferings in a redemptive sense here. You see, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you trust him, as Lord and Savior, and follow him. That's all together. That doesn't happen later. You surrender to him. You're following him. You follow in suffering like he suffered. That's what Paul referred to in Philippians 3 as the fellowship of his sufferings. You are in a partnership with Jesus Christ, and therefore all the animosity directed at him will be experienced in some way, in some capacity, towards you. That's why Jesus, the night that he was leaving his disciples, he was going to be arrested. He he gave them truths about what life would be like without him. And he said in John chapter 15, he said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Since the world did hate Christ, you can expect that it's going to hate you too. Let me read it to you. You don't need to turn there. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, and the thought here is not if in the sense that they might, they might not. It's since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. See, if you just behave like the world, the world would love that because you confirm their behavior. But Jesus said, because you are not of the world, not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. You're different. You're distinct. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. That's certainly true. If they persecuted me, meaning me, your master, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Why? Because they don't know the one who sent me. The world will persecute us. Jesus uh uh, is, was persecuted, and you know what? He's in heaven now. They can't get to him anymore, so who do they come after? Us, because we reflect him. In Galatians six seventeen, Paul says, I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus, meaning I bear the bruises that were intended for Jesus, but they can't touch him physically, so they touch me. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy three twelve, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, if you don't live godly, You either are not a believer or else you have compromised the faith. If you compromise, you'll not be persecuted. If you stand for the true standards of Scripture, you will have some kind of hostility. It won't be necessarily every day. It won't be necessarily physical, but there will be opposition to the faith. It could be in your home. It could be married to an unsaved person. It could be even from your own children who don't appreciate your walk with Christ. It could be at work. It could be at school. Listen, it could be at a Christian school. All of these things, no matter what it is, they are the sufferings of Christ. And while it is true that God still comforts us, 
God still comforts us in general. You can have a disease and God comforts you. You can go through pain physically, emotionally, God comforts you. Paul's point in verse 5 is that there is abundant comfort for those who suffer because of righteousness, because of, of Christ. That's his point. That's his point. I want you to see something. First Peter chapter 4. We looked at Second Peter for many months, but First Peter chapter 4 is a marvelous passage because he tells us about suffering. He says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter wrote around the time of Nero's persecution on Christians, and he said, don't be surprised by this. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, he says, keep on rejoicing. Now, why should you rejoice? So that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. You're going to be rewarded when Jesus comes back. That's why you rejoice. They may hurt you now, but you're going to be rewarded. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, he writes, you're blessed. Why? Why are you blessed? Watch this. Not only will you be rewarded in the future, but presently, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, he says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The moment you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. That's not what he's talking about here. In addition to his ongoing indwelling, God in in some special way by his Holy Spirit rests upon you in a strengthening, empowering way. It is in addition to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God gives you a sense of his presence. He strengthens you. He rests upon you. The spirit of glory of God and, and of God rests upon you. But notice he says in verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he's to glorify God in this, this name. Peter is saying that if you are suffering because of your own sin, there isn't an abundance of comfort for that. Now, I do think there's comfort if you repent of your sin, but you're just experiencing the discomfort that you ought to experience from your own sin and the consequences. But if we suffer as a Christian, if we suffer for righteousness sake, there is abundant comfort in that. So Paul has established, as we go back to Corinthians, Paul has established the fact that God's comfort through Christ is just as abundant as our suffering. So don't think you're alone. Don't think that you're just out there. You wives living with unsaved husbands, God's giving you comfort. You husbands living with unsaved wives, God is doing that. And that's that was great news for the Corinthians that Paul said that because Paul suffered a lot, so he was able to comfort them a lot. Notice verse 6. But if we are comforted, or if we rather are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. What does he mean by this? He's simply telling them that his suffering has benefited them. He's reiterating verse 4. His suffering has benefited them because they were the recipients of the comfort that he received from God, and this helped them to walk with the Lord in their daily walk of salvation. I take it that Paul is using the term salvation here, not in the sense of our initial salvation, but in the perseverance of our daily walk until we complete our salvation, he takes us home to heaven. Paul is just saying that, listen, my suffering has benefited you because I suffered a lot. I got a lot of comfort. So in your suffering, I'm able to give you a lot of comfort because I have been there. 
and I can share these things with you. See, once again, this helps to explain why you and I must go through painful experiences, because there are people that God wants you to minister to. You ever pray and say, Lord, I really want to be a man of God. I really want to be a woman of God. And then God sends some suffering into your life to help you. And you say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is an an But this is the answer to prayer. You cannot be a man or a woman of God unless you go through some affliction. You can't. So when you pray for that, expect that this is how he's going to answer, at least in, in part. And there are people God wants you to minister to in this church, out of this church, whatever. You need to understand that. Paul said that I understand in my life, God has uniquely given me suffering so I can uniquely help others. All these churches suffer. Well, you're not going to have necessarily that kind of impact, at least in terms of of breath, but in the depth you can, as God has put you in a family, he's put you in a group of friends, he's put you in a Sunday school class. That is what you need to keep in mind. You aren't in the Christian life alone. You have a responsibility as a member of the body of Christ to minister to the body. Tell them how God's word has strengthened you in your pain. Give them that comfort. Well, that's how Paul ministered to the Corinthians. He knew that his suffering and comfort uh, were not for him alone. It was for their benefit. And you know what the result was? Notice the end of verse 6. He says, which is effective, meaning this is how it all works out in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. In other words, Paul's comforting ministry to them enabled them to patiently endure their own trials. That's a great comfort to us. It tells us that you'll make it. You know that? You're go- if you're not going through something now, you will in the future. I guarantee it. Nobody goes through life without suffering. Paul says that my ministry to them was effective because they were able to patiently endure the same sufferings which we also suffer. It means that when there's hostility for your faith in the future, you'll make it. You'll make it. God will make sure that you make it. You will patiently endure. And so you need to get a tape of this message and play it and remind yourself of that. And we have the opportunity to help others who will patiently endure. Paul knew that the Corinthians would do this. He knew that they were going through trials. He affirms this in verse 7. He says, And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Paul said, I have great hope for you. Yes, there was an element in this church that had rebelled against Paul. Yes, there, there are things that are very unstable there. Some were still following the false apostles, but many had turned back to Paul. And Paul said, I have hope for you. It's firmly grounded. I know you're going to patiently endure. I know this because you are sharers of our sufferings. I see that you're persecuted for your faith. And therefore, I know you're sharers of our comfort. The Corinthians were undergoing persecution. Now, how do we know that? We don't, well, we know it from this verse. We don't know the specifics in 2 Corinthians. I can't recall, and I've read 2 Corinthians many many times. I can't recall, maybe I missed it, and I'll see it when we study it later, but I can't recall Paul revealing in 2 Corinthians what they were going through. It's mostly about him and defending himself. But in 1 Corinthians, we do know that they were suffering. How do we know this? Let me have you turn to 1 Corinthians 7. Some of you need to be encouraged by this. 1 Corinthians 7. This speaks where where many of you are at. In chapter 7, at the beginning of this chapter, 
Paul writes now concerning the things, verse one, about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. They had written to Paul with all kinds of questions about marriage and singleness and sexuality. Paul writes back to them. Chapter seven is about this. It's about problems in the home. It's about, in in some respects, some parts of it are about Christian husbands being married to non-Christian wives and suffering. Christian wives being married to non-Christian husbands and suffering. And in verses 12, 13, and then 15, Paul answers them. This is their suffering. They were being persecuted right in the home. Verse 12, but to the rest I say, meaning to those of you who are in this situation, he says, not Uh, He says, I say, not the Lord. Now, let me stop there and say that this does not mean that Paul was saying what I have to say is not inspired. It's not the Lord's word. What he was saying is that when Jesus addressed the issue of marriage and divorce, he did not talk about this situation. He says, I'm talking about this. Jesus spoke about when two believers are married or, or marriage in general. But Jesus never addressed the issue of a believer being married to an unbeliever. That was left to Paul. So I don't want you to think this is anything less than inspired truth. All inspired. To the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. So if you're married to a non-Christian and they say, I, I want to stay married to you, yes then you don't divorce them. You don't say, well, I've become a Christian, so I can't be defiled by you as a pagan. You're out of here. You don't say that. You don't do that. Verse 13 just reverses it now with a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her. She must not send her husband away. He says in verse 14 that in some way their children are sanctified. doesn't mean that they're saved, but uh, if there's one believer in the family, the children have some kind of blessing because of that. They're, they're protected from, uh, from some of the defilements that would come upon just uh, that family if, if two parents were pagans. But then in verse 15, he says this, if the unbelieving one leaves, now they want to stay, they stay. But what if they say, I'm out of here. I can't stand your Christianity. You were fine before you turned to Jesus and became a fanatic. I don't like you. I don't like your church. I don't like what they stand. I'm out of here. If the unbelieving one leaves, Paul said, let him leave. Let him leave. You think that was persecution? Sure. You think that was easy for these people? Absolutely not. If that unbeliever wants to leave because of that person's faith, not because they're an obnoxious spouse, but for the faith, let them leave. He says, the brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, meaning if they leave you and they divorce you because of your faith, you're not bound to them in marriage. You don't say, well, I'm still in the eyes of God, still married to them. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not under bondage. And then he explains, God has called us to peace. He does not want an ongoing hostile situation in which you feel like I can't let that unbeliever go no matter what it is. I have to hold on to him. I have to hold on to her. And Paul said, if they want to go because of your faith, let him go. But my purpose here is not to go over the whole divorce and, and marriage issue, but to tell you that the Corinthians understood suffering. They had also these false apostles there. They also had arrogant leaders and arrogant people they had to deal with in, 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 in uh, the first letter. They also had to discipline people in the church. They understood what it was to suffer. And Paul, as we go back to 2 Corinthians, is saying, you can relate, you are sharers together with us in our suffering. It may not be the exact suffering, but you're suffering for the cause of Christ. Therefore, I am quite confident 
that you're also a sharer in our comfort, in our comfort. You see, you and I, 2,000 years later, can relate to that kind of hostility towards Christ. Maybe not the exact situation, maybe closer to home than, than we realize. And why? Because we are partners with all believers in their suffering, and therefore we are partners with all believers in their comfort. We didn't live in that era. We don't have their culture, but some things never change. Hostility towards Christ never changes, and God's comfort in Christ never changes. And that ought to be a comfort to you. That ought to be an encouragement because that comfort is available. It really is available. I don't know what you're going through now. I don't know what sufferings are going to come in your life and in my life. And it's a good thing we, we don't know. It's a good thing. But I do know that comfort is available because God's character never changes. If he ministered to Paul this way and he ministered to the Corinthians this way, then he's going to minister to you this way. Remember what the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes in character. He is still the father of mercy. He is still the God of all comfort. And his plan is to send suffering into your life so that he could comfort you and make you a comforter of others. Now, if you don't know him as your savior, if you've never turned to him, in repentance, you turn from your sin, you turn to Christ for salvation. If you've never done that, you cannot receive God's comfort. You can't. You must first come to him for salvation, and then you come to him for comfort. If you've never trusted Christ, you must consider that. You must consider that or you'll, you'll not know. You've not tasted what real affliction and real torment is unless you die without Christ. And we don't ever want that to happen. So um, if you've never trusted Christ, I urge you to do that. We'll have someone, one of our leaders here at the front, when we close the service, you can speak to them about Christ. But I want us, the rest of us now, all to just be silent before the Lord, close our eyes, think about this, internalize this. I want to say to you as we're quiet before him, don't let suffering turn you into a person who wallows in self-pity or becomes angry, or, or complains and, and gripes. As, as your pastor, I, I don't want that to happen to you. That's not God's will for you. What is his will is that you ought to be driven to the word of God and to the God of the word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. You've asked God to not only make you a man of God, a woman of God, but teach you his word. This is part of the answer. We get into the word when we see a need in our lives, and suffering does that. So you need to see the big picture. You are suffering so that you can be comforted, so that you can comfort others. We're all ministers, saved to serve him, and this is an excellent way. Father of mercy, Father of all comfort. We come to you because we believe the Word of God. Lord, we believe that these are not simply sentences on a page, but these are words from, from the living Word of God. These are your words, and what was true 2,000 years ago is still true today. We know that Paul was an apostle of yours, and Lord, we receive it. I pray that you'll help us to internalize this 
I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to really get an understanding and the application of that understanding about suffering. I pray for those who are going through some deep things right now, Lord, that this will encourage them, not just for today, but that they would understand things better and that they would be driven to your word and they would comfort others. I pray, Lord, you'll turn us into a a church of over 500 ministers who minister correctly, who minister with the word, who are competent to counsel others and share these truths. Lord, I pray that uh, these things will take root in our hearts. I also pray for those who need Christ, that you'll open their hearts to the gospel as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're running short of time today, so I need to close quickly. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I hope today's class was encouraging to you and that you can join us for the next verse-by-verse in the beginning of Pastor Steve's concluding message on the benefits of suffering. If you would like to hear this program again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse is a production of Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own local church. You know, one of the benefits of suffering is that it helps us to comfort others. That's our next topic on Verse by Verse. I hope to see you then. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com